Well, happy 4th of July. Thanks so much for watching online today. Hope that you're having a great weekend wherever you are. And after this message, be sure to stick around for the fireworks at the end. Um, Today, we're looking at one of the most famous stories in the world. Um, And it's found in Luke chapter 15. Before we look at the story, uh, I wanna tell you the setting for why Jesus told this story. And it's found in Luke chapter 15, verse one. It says, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. That's to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is teaching like he would normally do. And the crowd that he's attracting is a group of tax collectors and sinners. And like Pastor Zeb talked about last week, tax collectors were notorious sinners. They were notoriously corrupt for uh, being people that you could not trust. And so in general, Jewish people hated tax collectors. And so tax collectors are rebellious sinners. They've turned their back on God and their family and all the ideals that they were raised with. And yet they're coming to listen to Jesus. Jesus had nothing in common with them, really. I mean, Jesus is this moral, upright teacher who's teaching the way of God. And these people who have turned their back on God want to be around him to listen. That's kind of interesting. And the Pharisees, who are like Jesus and religious and follow God's laws and take God seriously, they can't understand why Jesus is welcoming the tax collectors and the sinners and even eating with them. And to eat with someone was just a huge sign of association in their culture. And so they can't figure that out because in their minds, God likes people like us. And so Jesus, if you're from God, if you're supposed to be representing God on the earth, if, if you're supposed to be proclaiming the way of God on the earth, then why are you welcoming people like them? They can't figure that out. And so Jesus, in order to explain it to them, in order to resolve their question, he tells three stories. These three stories are designed to illustrate God's heart for people. The first story goes like this. Jesus says, There's a man who's got a hundred sheep and one of those hundred sheep goes missing. So what does the man do? Does he just say, well, at least we still got 99 and we'll just count our losses. No, instead he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. And when he finds that one lost sheep, he brings it back and he throws a big party and he celebrates. And Jesus says, In the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who didn't need to repent. Then he tells a second story. He says, let's say there's a woman who has 10 very valuable coins and she loses one somewhere in her house. What does she do? Does she just say, well, at least we still got nine coins? No. She turns on the lights and she sweeps the whole house and she looks under everything until she finds the one lost coin. 
And when she finds that coin, she calls her neighbors and she's like, hey, I had lost this, but I found it. And she invites people over to celebrate. And Jesus says, in the same way, that's what it's like in heaven when a sinner repents. And then Jesus tells the third story. And the third story is the most famous story. This story is often called the prodigal son or the story of the lost son. But it's actually a story about two sons. Here's how the story goes. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. There's this man, he's got two sons and the younger son comes and says, dad, I know that you're gonna give me a bunch of stuff once you die, all right? In your will, I'm supposed to get, you know, a third of your stuff and my brother's gonna get two thirds because he's older than me, so he gets twice as much as me. But here's the deal. I would rather have that stuff now. So could you divide the inheritance with me and give me what's coming to me when you die? And in this particular culture, this would have been a super disrespectful request. Essentially, what the son is saying is, Dad, I care more about what you can give me than I care about you. You're worth more to me dead than alive, is essentially what this son is asking for. He's like, look, you know, if you would hurry up and die, my life would actually be better. But since that's super cruel to wish for and, you know, plot for, why don't you just give me my stuff now? And even though this is a super disrespectful request, this father grants his request. He goes through the process of dividing up his stuff. Maybe that required selling some property and he takes the cash that would have belonged to the younger son and he gives it to him. And here's what the younger son does. Verse 13, not many days later. So it doesn't take long for the younger son to get the cash and he gathered all he had and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. So this younger son takes the cash and then he moves to a distant country. He's gonna go explore the world. He's gonna go discover himself. He's gonna go find out who he really was meant to be. And he's got all this cash to do it and so he moves away and he squanders all of his dad's money. And it says he squanders it in foolish living. And you can kind of fill in the blanks here, but I mean, the implication is he's partying, he's drinking, he's gambling. Maybe there's some prostitutes involved. He's living it up in the city. pretty soon, it's all gone. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then, verse 15, he went to work for one of the citizens of that country 
who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now, in Jesus's Jewish audience, not only has this younger son left his home, Israel, to move to a foreign country, not only has he wasted all of his dad's money, but now he's working for a Gentile and he's working with pigs for a Gentile. So he's working with a non-Jewish person, doing things that Jewish people are not supposed to do. Essentially, he's turning his back on his dad, on his dad's God, on his dad's morals and principles. He's turning his back on everything that his dad taught him. He's living like a tax collector. And so the younger son finds himself now working with pigs. He used to be wealthy, now he's got nothing. Verse 16, he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Now, you don't even have to understand, you know, Jewish culture to know that's pretty low, right? Like if you reach that point in your life, things are not going well. If you're working with pigs and you're like, I just really wish I could have some of their food and you're not even allowed to eat that, it's pretty rough circumstances, right? And so while he's experiencing that, something happens. It says in verse 17 that when he came to his senses, when he started to think more clearly, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. It's like he reaches this moment where he, it's like he, he moves outside of himself and he, he sees his situation. He's got some perspective and he's like, what am I even doing with my life? Even the people who work for my dad have it better than this. And I used to be a son in the house, not just a servant, but a son. And so here's what I'm gonna do. Verse 18, I'll get up, I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. And while he's walking on the road, he's got this speech that he's prepared. You know, okay, father, I've sinned against heaven, okay? And that's important to say that. And I've also sinned against you. Make sure I include that. And I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. Make sure you get that part right. I'm not even worthy to be your son anymore. Should I say it like that? He's rehearsing this speech. Have you ever rehearsed a speech like this? Maybe you're driving home and you've got to have a difficult conversation with your spouse. Maybe you've got to have a difficult conversation with one of your kids. And what you're stressing about is not just what you're trying to communicate, but the way you're going to say it. And that's what the son is doing on his way home. 
He's wanting to make sure he gets it just right because isn't it true that so many times, whether or not we're accepted after we've messed up is based on how well we promise to do in the future. Whether or not we're accepted is based on how well we promise to perform. And so he's trying his best to get this right. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. That means that when his father saw him a long way off in the distance, his father didn't have judgment for him. His father didn't say, all right, we got to take the belt off and, you know, his father didn't have resentment. Instead, he had compassion. His heart moved. His heart longed for his son. And so he ran. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He starts telling the speech that he's been practicing, but he doesn't get to get through the whole speech. His father interrupts him. He's in, got such joy and the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And the son can't believe it. I mean, he's got the robe on. So that's representing honor in the family. He's got the ring on, which represents power. He's got the sandals on. He's got privilege now. And they're even gonna kill the fattened calf, which you only did like once a year, maybe. And it was only for a huge occasion, the biggest feast you can imagine. It was different than us. You know, you don't get to just go eat filet mignon all the time in their culture. And they're doing it tonight though. Why? The father says, because this son of mine, we thought he was dead. He was left for dead, but he's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. And that's the principle of the story. That's the principle of these three stories. Why was Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Why was he welcoming them? Because God celebrates when the lost are found. God celebrates when the lost are found. And so we've got to celebrate. This son of mine who was dead, he's alive. This son of mine who was lost, he's found. And so kill the calf, man. Let's have steak tonight. Cancel your plans. We've got a party to throw. God celebrates when the lost are found. And the son he is humbled by this. And so he gets to enjoy the party. But that's when we, when we remember that this is not a story just about one son. It's a story about two sons. 
verse 25. Now, his older son, we haven't met him yet. But where is he when all this is taking place? It says the older son was in the field. In other words, while the younger son was off in a distant country working for a Gentile and working with pigs, while the younger son was off wasting all the family money, dishonoring his dad and his family heritage, disrespecting God, here was the older son doing exactly what he should have been doing. Faithfully serving his dad, doing his best in the field, doing what he was supposed to do. He was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He's like, that's weird. I don't think it's, it's not my birthday, I know that. He starts thinking, like, what, what could be going on at the house? Why are we, why do we have a party tonight? So he summoned one of the servants. Hey, come here. And questioning what these things meant. Hey, what's going on? Why is there music? Verse 27. Your brother is here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Have you ever received news that kind of caught you off guard? Have you ever found out people were planning something and you didn't know about it and you're like, I didn't, I mean. And so verse 28, then he became angry and he didn't want to go in. Why are we having the party? Your brother's home. And then he thinks about it for a while and he just starts to get angry. Eventually his father notices that he's not at the party. And so what does his father do? His father came out and pleaded with him. In other words, son, hey, we got the party going on. Come on. I want you to be with me. I want you to be at the party. Verse 29, but he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving away many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. So you killed the fattened calf for him you never even gave me a goat. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your, asta, your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Do you see what he's saying? I mean, do you kind of resonate with this maybe even? Like, he's been completely rebellious. This entitled little brat who made you divide all of, our, all of your stuff up, who wanted nothing to do with you. He moved to the city, he took your money and he jumped into the deep end. And as soon as he comes home, you just welcome him back and 
killed a fattened calf. And here I have been. And I've been slaving away. I've been acting like your servant, not even your son. You've treated me more like a servant than a son. You see the anger. But his father says, verse 31, son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Which is literally true because he has divided his inheritance. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so the story ends with the father and the older son outside of the party. And the question is what's the older brother gonna do? What's the older son gonna do? Is he gonna come inside with his dad and join the party? Or is he gonna be like Jonah and continue to sit out on top of his little hill while he waits and hopes that the city is destroyed? While he stays outside and waits for his little brother to get what's coming to him? What's, what's he gonna do? Do you see the power of this story that Jesus is telling? These Pharisees are confused. They're coming to Jesus complaining, why are you welcoming these tax collectors and sinners? Jesus is showing them because look, what God celebrates is when the lost are found. And so we want these sinners to repent. We want these sinners to come home. We want these sinners who are dead to be alive again. We want those who are lost to be found. And Jesus now comes to the Pharisees with this question. Hey, so listen, do you wanna be part of the party? Do you wanna join the party? What this story shows us is that there are two ways to be lost. There are two ways to be lost. You can be a rebellious sinner and be distant from your father, or you can be a religious sinner and be distant from your father. Both of them can separate themselves from God. This idea is not original with me. There's a book called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller, where he makes this point that a lot of times we tend to think about sinners as if it's just the rebellious types, you know? The rebellious sinners are the ones who move to Seattle, you know? They're the ones who move to the city to find themselves. They're the ones who move to the, to the city and experiment. They're the ones who, you know, they wear their rebellion like a badge of honor. Those are the rebellious sinners. 
they're separated from God. They're distant from the Father because they've disrespected him. They don't care about what he thinks. They don't care about his ideals. They think that they can find life by themselves. They think they're wiser than him. They think they know better than God and their parents and the government and whoever, you know? They know better than everybody. And so they turn their back on morals and principles and they're rebellious sinners. And there are also religious sinners. And if you were to look at a list of sins, like maybe you'd have a hard time finding one. Like, well, they haven't, you know, had too much to drink and they haven't, you know, stolen anything from anybody. And they're pretty upright people. So how are they religious sinners? And what Tim Keller points out in his book is that religious sinners are people who have done all of the right things, but for all of the wrong reasons. They're people who have stayed, you know, while the, while the rebellious sinners ran away, the religious sinners stayed. They did their duty. They did what they were supposed to do, but not because they loved their father, not because they loved God, not because they just wanted to please God, but because maybe they just felt obligated. Maybe they just, you know, you were born, you're the kind of person, you follow the rules, you keep the rules. You, you've done the right thing, you do what's asked of you, you're responsible. But maybe there's something inside of you, if you're this, you know, religious sinner, that over time you're just kind of starting to resent people for it. And you're not gonna stop doing the right thing because that's not who you are. But man, you're tired. And also maybe, you know, I've been doing the right thing so long. Like, don't I deserve something for this? Like, God, I've been doing the right thing for so long. Like, shouldn't you shower me with some blessings or something? Like, let's kill the fattened calf for me. When I was in high school, I remember making a deal with God, which is not really a thing, but, you know, sometimes we think that that's going to work. And I remember telling him, God, I will stop doing this thing that I knew I probably shouldn't be doing. I will stop doing this thing if you will help me get elected to student body president, because that's something that I really wanted to accomplish. So I'll stop doing this thing if you help me do that. That's a religious sinner. That's someone who's saying, God, I'm gonna do the things that you're asking me to do, but not because I love you, but just because I want something from you. And Jesus says, you're lost. <laughs> you're distant from your father in that case. There's two ways to be lost. You can be a rebellious sinner or a religious sinner, but there's only one way to be found. And that is to repent. To repent simply means to change your mind about how you're living, 
to turn around and come back to God. For the rebellious sinner, you've got to repent for the reasons that you ran. You ran because you thought you know better than God. The truth is you don't. You ran because you thought that God was just this mean, evil, coercive deity who was trying to, you know, ruin your life, and he's not. Come home. And if you're a religious sinner, you've got to repent for the reasons that you stayed. You've got to repent for for becoming this entitled person of morality who expects now that because I've done this, God should. And because I did this, God will you. And, And repent of that. And this is the point of the story. That God's heart is not for the tax collectors and against the Pharisees. And it's not against the Pharisees and for the tax collectors. Did I say the same one? He's not excluding one group or the other. It's not like, well, God loves the younger son who rebels and God's really irritated with the older son. Or God loves the older son who stays, but he's really irritated with the younger son who runs. The point is, look, both of you, come to your senses. You who are far from God, come to your senses. Recognize there is more life to be had. Come eat the bread of life. Stop eating out of the pig's trough. Come. Stop drinking out of this broken well with polluted water and come to the fountain of living water and drink. If you're overcome with guilt, stop running. If you know that you're on a path that is not working out for you, stop running and come home. Come back to your father. He's not just waiting for you. He has sent his son, Jesus, to come and save you. And the fact that you're even watching this message is maybe one of the ways in which Jesus has hunted you down. And he pleads with you, come home, come on, let's go back to dad's house. So if you're a rebellious sinner who's been running, come to your senses and come home. There's grace for you. There's a party waiting for you. And if you're a religious sinner, if you've been doing all the right things, but for all the wrong reasons, if you're tempted to look down on so many other types of people, then God's invitation to you is the same. It's, hey, come join the party. Come join the party. Come be a part of the party where we give people good things that they don't deserve. 
You cannot enter God's party based on what you've done to earn it. Instead, entrance into this party is based on things that are dead coming back to life, things that are lost being found. Recognize that even in your moral conformity, you've been distant from your father. Even in all of your moral conformity, you are still a sinner who needs a savior. And God also has grace for you. He has sent his son, Jesus, not just for the rebellious types, but even for you, the religious types. So come join the party. Come accept the fact that you can't earn a place into this party, but instead one has been earned for you through Jesus. So come join the party. If you're a rebellious sinner, come home. If you're a religious sinner, join the party. Join the party. The way that sinners are able to join the party is only through Jesus, who went to the cross. He died in the place of sinners and was raised from the dead, and now he pleads. He stands at the door and knocks because he wants to come in and eat with us. So what are you going to do? You gonna open the door? You gonna come join the party? You gonna listen to your dad pleading with you to come in? Or are you gonna stay outside? My hope for you is that you would come in, that you would come join the party, that you would recognize you're a sinner, but there's a savior, his name is Jesus. Heaven rejoices over your return, that you would recognize that, that you would come join the party and not just that, but that we would be a church full of people who are not just in the party, but eager to host the party, eager to welcome more sinners who will come and repent, eager to extend grace to people who don't deserve it. If there's somebody who's wronged you or hurt you, I think this story is compelling you to say, you know what? I need to have a gracious spirit towards you, not because you're a righteous recipient, but just because that's what grace is. If people deserve your grace, it's not grace. So would we be a church, not only that's part of the party where we constantly celebrate because we were lost and now we're found. We were dead and we're alive in Christ. Would we be a church that not only joins that party, but also hosts that party, extends grace to sinners, invests in sinners the way Jesus did and invites them to come home, come to the party. My hope is that we would be that kind of church. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. He's the older brother that we need, the older brother who comes to seek and save the lost. So God, I ask now that the lost would be found as a result of your word being preached. God, I pray that you would make us hungry 
hungry spiritually, that we would come to our senses and realize there is food that can sustain and nourish our hearts and it's found only in Jesus. And would we come and would we feast on him? God, for those of us who have grown up doing the right stuff and conforming to all the rules and yet maybe our attitudes are far from you. God, would you humble our spirits? Would you cause us to let go of our anger? And would we become people of grace who recognize that you only get to go in if you realize that you don't deserve it? Would we be that kind of church? I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now enjoy the fireworks.